Today's PerfBytes Special Edition is brought to you by Catchpoint Software. Our mission is to help companies advance the digital experience of their customers and employees. Our digital experience monitoring platform pinpoints performance and availability problems user experience anywhere in the world. We help the world's internet builders and operators detect and fix issues with confidence faster than ever before. Find out more at www.catchpoint.com. That's C-A-T-C-H-P-O-I-N-T.com. It's time for Perf Bites. What the f*** is Perf Bites? The fourth square meal of the day. Don't bogart the Perf Bites. Fuck waffles. Add nutritional value to your brain. Perf Bites. Whatever. Welcome, everybody, to a Perf Bites special edition with Catchpoint Software. As many of you are aware, Catchpoint is a sponsor of Perf Bites News of the Damned. And I have here with me today, Mr. Leo Vassilou, and we're going to be speaking about the Catchpoint 2020 SRE survey. Leo, welcome, and please introduce yourself. James, thank you very much for the introduction. It is a pleasure to be here with you and the team. We uh, greatly appreciate the time that you put into doing these shows. What's um, interesting here, James, is uh, the perspective I bring to the table as one of the primary authors of this year's report was uh, I was one of those sys admins the last time I touched a, a script or uh, spun up an instance was about seven years ago before this whole DevOps and SRE actually became a thing. So it's definitely been interesting to see how the industry has evolved and matured. And I tried to capture that in this year's report. So I hope the the, the readers and listeners uh, enjoy reading just as much as we enjoyed uh, researching and writing. Well, let's get into a little bit of a history of the report. So the 2020 report is not brand new. You've done this for a number of years. What are really the things that stand out this year compared with previous years? Um, obviously, we have some elements with the COVID-19, people work from home. But what what else in, in work models or data uh, really struck you? This is the third installment of Catchpoint's SRE report. We launched it in 2018. As our inaugural report, we just wanted to first uh, establish a baseline for roles and responsibilities, get an idea of the backgrounds of uh, SRE type people, and then just offer some initial demographics and firmographics for people responding to the survey. And then the 2019 SRE report um, had a large focus on managing incidents stress and post-incident stress and everything uh, that companies can do can uh, and everything that companies can do to help alleviate that stress and so for this year's report this really had to do with maturity and evolution and what we wanted to do was attach some of the core devops sre principles where if you think about devops as a broader set of philosophies, then SRE would be a narrower implementation of those philosophies, but with the focus on reliability. And what we wanted to do was attach it to this idea of uh, maturing from reacting to 
being proactive to then uh, being uh, preventive, you know, preventing things or incidents from happening in the first place through the design and implementation of observable system. There's some really interesting data in this year's survey. What struck me initially as I was going through the survey is how much of a deviation there is in the market for market actuality versus the definition of, of a system reliability engineer. So Google likes to say you're a system reliability engineer if you're operating about 50% of the time in ops and 50% of the time in dev. If your bias starts to shift one way or the other, then really you're not operating as an SRE and you should be working almost entirely in, in the area where your bias is shifting. But the market reality is, it seems about 75% of the activities are ops-based. Am I reading that correctly? Truer words, James. Truer words. So there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, uh, and some of our respondents um, also called that out um, when comparing to the Google baseline, and they made a point to stress that there's too much context, especially as it comes to uh, segmentation by vertical or industry, for example. It brings up a good point because uh, previously. Uh, I had talked about maturity and evolution and attaching to uh, being present, uh, being preventive through designing and implementing observable systems. But the second part had to do entirely with the development versus operational split using the Google uh, data point as a baseline. And I agree 100% that the deviation seems quite large couple of points of note here um, as it pertains to uh, eliciting responses from people. One is when we design this report, there are two types of questions. One is a what we refer to as a direct question. For example, do you do development work or what percent of your time is development work? And then people can type in various percentages. The second type of question is what we refer to as an indicator question, which is we ask questions that have to do with the previous direct question that was asked, but without actually uh, calling it what it is to see if the data matches the direct question. And in this year's report, it matched and really reinforced the main point that you brought up here, which is there seems to be quite a large gap compared with Google's definition. And James, if I may just uh, offer one more um, point on this year's survey, when we talk about the, 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 the data sets that we did collect, um, it should be noted that it's really two surveys in one because our initial set of questions was offered at the beginning of this year, 2020. And the second set of addendum questions, which we incorporated um, into the report was asked after two and a half months of the shelter in place or work from home uh, mandate. And what was interesting in that set of data, if you remember the high shift toward operation and people still seeming to manage infrastructure, um, out of over 350 responses and just the um, at-home addendum set of data alone, uh, a net 10% of respondents said they felt that their work was shifting even more toward uh, operational activities. So one 
might have a little room to interpolate both sets of data, but either way, the margins and deviations are so large that it's still um, it's still its own talking point. Yeah, there, there's one page in the uh, in the report that actually speaks to this. It says about 14% of the population is actually doing 50% or more of development work. The rest is somewhere below 50% doing that work. Going back to this this work at home piece, I, I do recall you wanted to have the survey out earlier in the year and then we had this large market disruption and you held the survey back so you could collect additional data. What I found really interesting on the work at home components of this is that it really does seem that SREs benefit from working side by side in a team atmosphere with a lot of peer support, reinforcement and feedback. The top concerns before work at home were all about, hey, I need support here to do my job, tools, training, infrastructure, things of that nature. And when it came to the top concerns after working from home, a lot of them were inward pointing, say, hey, I feel more isolated. Um, I could use more peer support, things of this nature that really speak to the nature of, of, hey, I work best in a team model. And I like having my team members right next to me that I can bump ideas off of, that we can get good feedback from each other. And, and be more effective in the role. It's absolutely fascinating, James. Here is why. We particularly constructed that set of questions as such, and that is we asked those questions separately. So in the post um, or the at-home series of questions, we intentionally asked two different questions. We said, what work challenges are you facing and then in a separate question, we asked what humane well-being wellness challenges are you facing? But for the report, we combined them because we wanted to see, you know, we didn't want to cast an inference um, when having people look at the responses. But when we put them together to see that work-life balance surpassed even the ubiquitous quote unquote, oh, communications are a problem. It was absolutely fascinating to me. And the, uh, and I think even in our 2018 SRE report, we even ran a New York Times style headline that said, if you would like to work from home, the SRE role may not be for you because 80 per, uh, 81% of respondents said that they work on site and in a team setting. And think, I mean, just think of everything from um, your daily stand-up meetings to previous sets of challenges that are now exacerbated by challenges that maybe either didn't exist before or people didn't know they exist before. And um, when you think about um, the uh, previous sets of challenges that are now exacerbated by the post set of challenges, like I was saying, it's actually um, an exponential problem, not uh, not a linear problem. So I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so, so I look at this almost like a cascading system failure or a cascading series of problems where we've now added a whole bunch of additional load to systems 
directly related to people now working from home, coming in across VPNs. They're not taking as many breaks. So the load on the systems is higher. Now the support requirements to make sure that they're up, including monitoring, analysis, automation, problem resolution, all of those issues are magnified. And then the human toll is also magnified because these SREs are actually having to work harder remote than they did on site just to keep systems up going healthy and responsive. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, feedback loops are disrupted. There are, um, I mean, it might vary from region to region, uh, state by state, country by country, but there are additional constraints. For example, if someone still needs to go uh, on site, um, which uh, we did ask that direct question in the report and the answers did range from they still need to maintain 24 our follow the sun to just once or twice since uh, since being at home, but um, but when you think about how it affects all aspects, work uh, as well as life, then you can really um, help people place a focus on ensuring that your employees are, are factored into the conversation because previously. There's been so much talk about, you know, maybe this idea of inexperience or your customers, people buying, people buying products. If you're uh, an e-commerce site now, like you said, people streaming more from streaming services and there are, uh, they're all part of the formula. So let's take a, let's take an example and, and we'll use this example to discuss issues of observability, of monitoring classically of incident resolution, Microsoft Teams has increased by at least 800% since pre-COVID to now. And a big chunk of that was in the first month after people began working from home. I think I saw a statistic from Microsoft that said 775% at that time. Anyone who was using Office Online and Teams probably saw the disruption as systems were slowed and then capacity was added and slowed again and capacity was added, video problems, all sorts of things of that nature. So let's use this as an example. We have a system which is dramatically growing in terms of resources and users. And let's talk about some of the other elements that came out of the survey regarding monitoring, observability, foundations, automation, incident resolution, and things of that nature. So, so Leo, I'll pass it back to you on which element of that you want to hit first. The first section we decided to write was entitled Observability Components Exist, Observability Does Not. And so it is, uh, it is appropriate to bring it up uh, as we have this, this conversation. Um, going back to my previous comment about direct questions uh, as well as indicator questions, um, this has to do with the maturity and evolution theme that we've mentioned um, toward the beginning of this podcast. And so we asked very directly, uh, and this was a multi-select, we said, what tool categories are you using? What was fascinating with this data set was 93% um, of respondents chose monitoring and alerting. Only 53% of respondents chose observability. 
And James, if I may, uh, what I like to do as part of the teaching conversation is to help people think about it the right way um, and without any uh, you know, commercial slant. And that is, there's an academic definition to observabil uh, observability, which is this idea of inferring states of inputs from states of outputs. But then there's this commercial definition, which seems to have become attached to uh, APM vendors. And the kind of the sub standout data point there was uh, as a reinforcement to the previous point that was just made, 53% of respondents chose observability and 53% of respondents chose APM code tracing when asked that um, question. And to me, it just further bolsters the fact that there may be um, some misunderstandings or uh, potential room for clarification. Now, so, so it looks like if, if you don't have a deep diagnostic tool, you may not think that you have observability. You might not think that you have observability or bringing it back to the point which you raised about uh, Microsoft Teams, for example, this may be a piece where there's industry context uh, or the dimension here could be if you're a large service provider like Microsoft and you're used by the entire world, then, for example, um, you might not have some of the other elements in your delivery chain that other companies do. For example, Teams does not come with uh, ads. Right. So for them, observability might just mean the idea of looking at the output of a service where for other companies, it should absolutely mean looking at this idea of an overall experience, which includes way more than just your code. It includes your code, of course, but it also includes the Internet, transit networks, uh, infrastructure. And then um, components like your CDN, DNS, and other third-party providers. I, I would even suggest that uh, on video and audio, there are international standards, ITU standards for call quality and video quality that might come into play for an organization like WebEx or Teams or Zoom or even Zencaster that we're using right now for quality of the stream. And now put yourself in the seat of the person who has cited work-life balance as the number one challenge since being at home while still having to maintain the high quality of services and experiences you deliver. And it's uh, easy to see why we've got to reevaluate, especially as we talk about re, you know, things like reopening in different phases and what that would look like. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely a reason for the SREs being stressed at home. No, no doubt about that. So we've got um, going back to your your item of observability, being able to look or infer a state based upon you know the output of a system. Let's contrast that with monitoring. Monitoring has a classical look down perspective to get current state. So there's there's a little bit different definition here for observability versus classical monitoring. True? There is. You know, if monitoring is just the idea of saying, is the box red, amber, or green, 
um, some people like to try to make the distinction by then going on to say is observability is about answering the question, why is the box red, yellow, or green? Uh, the key um, the key perspective point there is to know where your boundary is. And so, as we mentioned a moment ago, if your boundary is just your internal service versus if your boundary is just a full-on experience from, for example, a reachability perspective when considering that most people um, are using, for example, a third-party provider like a CDN and the distributed nature of that, that's where things start to get a little gray or get uh, a little fuzzy. So, you know, monitoring is the idea of just looking at the, the state of one thing. Sometimes we draw a box around that uh, where, you know, so we say that might be the what and then observability is um, the why. Um, I do like to make the distinction here as well that monitoring is probably a tool where observability is an overall framework or a capability. So that might be another way to help make the uh, distinction. Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. Uh, I, th I can think of another example. I saw recently a customer was using some uh, rum data where they were collecting um, basically the, the DOM uh, statistics uh, for, from the nav timing metrics. Mm -hmm. Dom complete, uh, Dom interactive, things of that nature, but they were marrying that data with first user activity. So if somebody clicked before the the system was available, Dom interactive, then you had an observable reaction that their conversion rate to the next state was very low. Um, that's a good that uh, that's a good way to put it, actually, and. The uh, it also goes back to um, you know the behemoth that is Google and you know the baselines and standards that they set. So for example, uh, they just announced their uh, Web Vitals and some of those other metrics, which we uh, were quick to incorporate into uh, our Rum product as well. But um, but the the main point there is the ability to make those correlations is is probably what I would take away with that. The the other piece there is always, sometimes we like to say time is the fourth dimension. So um, you need to be able to know whether or not your use case is, if you're like a knock operator looking at a dashboard, you're living by the second and you're not interested in doing those types of correlations or going back and looking at data for the last day, week, month, quarter, year. But if you're not, then the idea of being able to make those correlations over a long period of times just adds another dimension to the conversation uh, as well. Absolutely. There was one point in the survey where you pointed out that some of this long-term data might better be subject to machine learning or AI processing, if, if I read that correctly, in order to pull out some of those trends. Uh, the actionability section. You know, I have a... Uh, so... When I was the sysadmin who carried the pager before the iPhones even existed, um, that that piece was uh, that piece was born of that pain and that suffering. <laughs> so I was the, the 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 person who 
would have to wake up at three in the morning, uh, drive to the first floor of the data center in the office to find out your badge didn't work because you had to go reboot the database server. So that one mm. was particularly, <laughs> particularly uh, uh, near and dear to my heart. But that whole piece was um, just to try to reinforce something or concept that has, has been around for a little bit that might also be part of the maturity and evolutionary conversation. And that is the, uh, the idea of the action that somebody is supposed to take should actually be um, dictated and determined by the computer instead of by a human getting an alert. So consider, for example, alert one, your page has failed to load versus alert two, um, third-party content has blocked page load, invoke playbook C3PO. Notice how that second one there is actually kind of dictating the action that should be taking. And so the idea of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, especially as it pertains to multiple data sources, is the idea that um, it removes the correlation efforts Sometimes uh, somebody might refer to that as toil, by the way, which we cover in the report. It removes the correlation efforts from the human, puts them into the machine, and allows the um, better honing in on what action should be taking to save a human from trying to do that interpretation and possibly even doing the wrong uh, or incorrect action. That brings us right back to automation. Another standout point was that the overall level of automation in the market in support of the SRE role was low. And the SREs themselves recognized that it was low and that actually increased their burden on a daily basis. I could see quite easily how this bias towards constantly working in ops is directly related to lack of automation on the ops side of the house and so that pulls a greater amount of time away from them where they could be doing more dev work. Man, James, uh, is, is that due to an incorrect charter? Is that due to not having the here's why we need SRE conversation and um, touting the benefits like reduced overall cost of owning a system? But I'm going to be honest with you. I was, I was actually surprised with the automation set of questions. Um, I think, you know, a couple of stats as it pertains to, to this theme is um, only 11% of respondents said that uh, automated incident management included third parties, for example. Um, the one that really stood out to me, though, was we asked about automation for capacity and provisioning, and I was quite surprised by how uh, how low the number was, uh, and, and that number being only 1-5-15% of respondents saying they have automation for both capacity and planning. There was a good chunk of people that said they have it for one or the other, but um, getting back to attaching to maturity and evolution here, given given what's available with providers and their various functions and this and that as a service, um, that really did stand out to me uh, as well. So I agree with you 100% on uh, the gap in the automation piece. I, I can see that uh, cloud providers uh, across the board would be looking at this survey and going, 
hey, <laughs> we've got a great market here for all of our pipeline stuff, all of our provisioning items, all, the, all of our automated interfaces. It's just not, not being taken advantage of. And we can use that to project growth at least for the next uh, couple of years. And if I may just quote our CEO, um, part of the challenges many organizations face derive from not putting enough focus on automating versus just trying to quote unquote get stuff out. So every time a new platform is adopted or new service is developed, there's a rush to operationalize it. And maybe that's part of the feedback that's just keeping people entrenched in the operational or sometimes we say shifted right side of the house. When really um, the overall goal and one of the most core tenets of the entire SRE implementation is to reduce the work that people need to do so they can focus more on those value activities like, uh, you know, a Kubernetes deployment or making uh, a new service release to market faster. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing when you, when you think about it, but, um, uh, but the data is what the data is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if you can't change it, if you can't measure it, <laughs> that is for certain. I'll have to uh, let Medi know that uh, we still, we used one of his taglines in the session. <laughs> so um, we, we've, we've kind of run through the survey, you know, hit a spot here, hit a spot there. Um, what are the, the final thoughts that you want to leave customers with regarding the survey overall impressions, or if there was one reason to get the survey more than anything else that perhaps we haven't even covered, what would it be? Oh goodness, James. Such a such a great question, such a tough question, such an unanswerable question. But here's my answer. <laughs> the um, we pride ourselves on trying to be a teaching organization, and we would like to take the opportunity to teach people about shifting from reactive to prevent uh, to proactive to preventive through designing and implementing observable systems. That is the maturity and evolution piece. And the biggest flashing yellow light there is don't let the commercial definition of observability make you disproportionately place the wrong amount of focus on just your APM and your code tracing. And go back to the previous data set where those percentage for doing code tracing and observability were identical at 53% versus monitoring at 93, uh, 93%. And, and I think this is a, this is a historic problem across our industry that people want to buy a tool to solve X. And they think once the tool is purchased, then it solves all of X until they find that there are gaps. The, um, building an appropriate monitoring observability um, framework is a process. It's not a tool. You have to identify what you want to collect, how you want to collect it, how you want to use that data, and then how you want to automate conditions that come out of it. And uh, that some of those tools have, have some capabilities built in for 
picking up patterns, picking up exceptions, notifications, things of that nature. But um, you still have to educate the tool or when a pattern comes up, you still have to say, okay, here's how to address it. You have to educate the tool. And I don't think that's ever really going to change. I agree. I agree. And, you know, people like uh, Charity over at Honeycomb do a great job of articulating and capturing the value of what you just described there. All we're saying is that for a distributed experience, there's uh, the boundary needs to be drawn correctly. And then it'll feed back um, into what we talked about in the report is just kind of capturing, uh, capturing what your, your uh, organizational charter looks like. Uh, um, as far as the next piece, you know, the, the next core section is just what we offer as baseline data about development versus operations. Um, how much toil do you feel there's in the organization, the goal of reducing operational work? Uh, we just offer that as just a key theme of the report. Um, and I felt that was a really good need. So that talked about um, toil and stress and lack of budget and other challenges that people are uh, facing in a both pre and post environment. And for whatever reason, um, the the key stat that stands out from that section is 41% of respondents felt half or more of their work was toil. 41% half or more of their work was toil. So the second key thing is like we said, we just offer the dev versus the ops as a baseline data set for, for companies as, um, as they evaluate what 2020 and reopening and beyond looks like. I think for any manager, it's worthwhile to pick up this document and read it first for the human aspects of working remote, working local, working in a team, and seeing what the human cost is for not only this remote work, but also the lack of automation and how it impacts quality of life, quality of work, satisfaction in your delivery to be able to address those items. And then they can look at mechanically, well, how do we fix some of these issues? Uh, higher levels of automation, um, support from a, um, an HR perspective, in, per, perhaps for working remote, maybe some of these jobs just shouldn't be remote at all, that it's worthwhile to simply have them in the data center, even if everyone else is gone. That, that's right, James. And you bring up a good point is that this part of the report is for everyone, not just DevOps, SRE pioneers. And your comments are fortuitous because that brings me to my third most important takeaway, which is that we must not forget that humans are underneath it all. It was bad enough before when there was such a focus on digital experiences and digital transformations and the focus on our customers that uh, employees were uh, sometimes forgotten or maybe an afterthought. Um, because when we talked, when we asked the direct question of what business metrics people measure, um, employee productivity was the second to last on the list. 
and I offer that this shift to home has abstracted even another layer farther away from that human-humane interaction, just making me want to reinforce the primary point there, which is we must not remember that there are humans behind these podcasts, behind those outages, behind um, those pager responses. And uh, to me, I feel that was the third and arguably the most important point of uh, writing this year's report. And, and if you abuse those employees over and over again, you know, they will seek other opportunities. They, they, they really, they really, they will seek other opportunities. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Leo, how do we get a copy of the report? James, excellent question. So Catchpoint is proud to sponsor the Catchpoint SRE report 2020, what we affectionately refer to as the distributed SRE. Please visit catchpoint.com and click the big bright download SRE report button and enjoy the read. It is a great read and uh, you know, I look forward to next year's report to see how things change um, and frighteningly how they might remain the same. James, this has been an amazing session. I want to thank you very much for inviting me to do your show today. To your comment about next year's report, uh, we would like to ask if there are any questions to think about or any themes for next year's report, uh, especially to make sure if there were any follow-ups from this year's report, please reach out to us and let us know. And I think it will be another amazing document. Are copies of the questions available? Uh, the reason why I ask is you mentioned the survey construction of how you ask a primary question and then you ask a supporting question to make sure that the answers are similar and supporting each other. I think it would be a great educational document for people that are putting together surveys when, within their own organization. I agree. I agree. So the original survey links are, are probably on the internet. I'll, I'll have to double check that. Um, the other uh, the other thing that we were thinking about doing was when we were writing and formatting the report, we wanted to tell a story, uh, which I think we did very nicely. Uh, but what we were thinking about doing was maybe issuing like a, an appendix or a part two that just didn't have any of the comment or rhetoric and was just uh, the questions themselves. So we haven't we haven't decided what that second part would look like, but that's that's what we were thinking about uh, doing for um, for people to maybe. Um, come to their own conclusions, for example. I mean, it could be any number of things, but that's what we were thinking. I think that would be fantastic. So, Leo, thank you for joining me today. I look forward to having you back for some more discussions on Catchpoint technology uh, over the summer period. And if anyone needs to get in touch with you, how would they do so on social media or at Catchpoint directly? If you wanted to get in touch with me directly, uh, leo at catchpoint.com, or you can just find me on Twitter at lvasilu or LinkedIn. Uh, Catchpoint's handle is very simply at catchpoint, and there are uh, real-time chats right on our website as well um, where people can direct you uh, as needed if you just wanted to hop into a, a, web, a web browser and interact with Catchpoint directly that way. You can always uh, reach perfbytes at at perfbytes on just about every platform you can reach us at perfbytes.com and we'll have a link to the catchpoint 2020 sre survey 
at uh, at perfbytes.com that you can click and go directly there as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, James. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this Perfbyte special edition on the Catchpoint 2020 SRE survey with Leo Vassilou of Catchpoint Software. For more information on Perfbytes, please visit the website www.perfbytes.com or our forums on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. We have a robust community of both English and Spanish listeners. If you have trouble finding us, just place Perfbytes into your favorite search engine and you're likely to find a route to us. The Perfbyte shows and content are copyrighted by the Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial, No Derivative 4.0 International License. So what does this mean to you? You are certainly free, feel free to share our content. Just give us credit when you do. As you have listened to the end of the show, we would like to ask you a couple of favors. One, please share this podcast with a couple of people who may be interested in the content. Two, please post a review of the show on your favorite podcast app. You would be surprised how much a review helps us to grow our community of listeners. And three, let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at feedback at perfbytes.com or you can even leave us a voicemail at 77-LOAD-PERF. That's 775-623-7373. Be sure and tune in and listen to our regular shows. You should be able to find them on your favorite podcasting app and they are Perf Bites with Mark Tomlinson, Ask Perf Bites with Brian Wilson, Perf Bites Espanol with the ever gregarious Leandro Melendez, and finally Perf Bites News of the Damned with myself, James Pulley. The Perf Bites show and staff are supporters of the Neotis Performance Advisory Council, the Practical Performance Analyst, the Performance Engineering Book of Knowledge, DevOps Days, the Perf Guild and Test Guild podcast, Test Bash and the Ministry of Testing, the Computer Measurement Group, the Workshop on Performance and Reliability, and of course, the Software Test Professionals Community of Software Testers. We always hope to see you at the next STPCon conference. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care and have a great week. <laughs>